morning, everybody. I'm Ken Sagendorf. And I'm Edgar Papke, and we welcome you to uh, True Alignment, a podcast that covers all topics related, related to alignment, alignment in your life, in your families, in your communities, uh, alignment at work, in your professions. And uh, we welcome you to the conversation here this morning. Yeah, we're uh, broadcasting live, live from the Innovation Center and the Anderson College of Business and Computing here at Regis University in lovely Denver, Colorado. And what I'd like to do is uh, actually begin with a, a bit of a shout out this morning. Um, my uh, my wife and I, Lori and I, we were uh, part of the evacuation from the Marshall Fire and had uh, some damage to our home. And we've been in a hotel uh, the last several nights. And uh, just want to thank the Louisville Girl Scout Troop, 75982. Uh, they banded together and made everyone at the hotel lasagnas vegetarian lasagnas and all different kinds of lasagnas. And we were treated to that last night and it was just really, really great, great, just down home, great uh, comfort food when we really needed it most. And uh, I've been having conversations with uh, people at the hotel about the experiences that they've been through many that lost uh, literally everything in terms of their, their property. And uh, um, just, just a very, uh, very devastating event. And so thank you, Girl Scouts at Troop 75982 in Louisville for the delicious lasagna. Yeah, very much from the heart. Thank you. Yeah. You know, Edgar, we, we have uh, uh, these conversations creep into our podcast uh, that, you know, Regis is a Jesuit university and we have this uh, level of spirituality uh, here in our education. But the, um, you know, what you've gone through and what you've experienced in the people of Louisville and, and Superior these last couple of weeks, um, you know, it's beyond uh, explainable. Yeah. Uh, when, when one sees it happening in other parts of the country or in other communities and we can see it broadcast on the news and see all the clips on television and actually be part of it where you've just literally have minutes to get out the door and, and you're waiting for news whether or not your home survived and we, there were over, for those of you that may not know, over a thousand homes were destroyed in the fire and uh, entire neighborhoods, entire areas of the city, both in Superior and Louisville, were just just destroyed by the by the rapidly moving fire and the 100 mile an hour plus winds. It's just amazing. And several of our neighbors, of course, and uh, and then to find pieces of ember, size of softballs and one neighbor had a to remember the size of a basketball lying in his yard just uh, a couple of feet away from his home. It's just, uh, just reminds you of how quickly life can change and how real things are around us. So, yeah, and, and, and by just sheer coincidence, I think, um, and I'm very grateful, uh, and we're grateful to have with us here today, Carl Clark, who's joining us. Carl is the CEO of the Mental Health Center of Denver. Uh, we've known each other for a number of years now. And I think one of the best ways to describe Carl is that he's a, he's a man of deep soul and heart who really is, is aligned in amazing ways to his work and what he does and what he provides. He's one of the uh, foremost, recognized as one of the foremost experts in mental health uh, and in, um, in providing mental health care in the country. Uh, he's uh, probably 
the the number one contributor from the standpoint of uh, ideas and innovation in, in the realm of healthcare. So, Carl, welcome to True Alignment this morning. Good to have you with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, we've been on a run, Edgar, right? You know, ever since we started the podcast um, a little bit before the year turned over, um, we started talking about the great resignation, talked about change uh, in the second podcast, then success and fulfillment. And as the new year broke, um, fortuitously, our two topics were exhaustion and now mental health. Now, you know, I'm super excited about this one. Um, super excited in reverse to look at how aligned our podcast topics have been so far. Um, you know, as we bring up alignment and what it means in the business world and in this issue of mental health, you know, both personal and professional, um, it's just everywhere. So Carl, we, uh, we have a number of ideas about what to talk about with you here this morning. It does. It's, it's, it's about uh, the Mental Health Center of Denver, and we could look at it from the lens through business and, of course, what's happening socially. Uh, Ken and I have changed the language a little bit. We, we see the great resignation being more about a great alignment that's been coming at us for quite some time and that the pandemic has actually accelerated people's level of awareness about who they are and what they're looking for from, from their lives and what they're looking for from their work. And so that's one aspect of what we'd like to talk to you about. And uh, we'd like to talk to you just about what your general observations are about what's, what's going on in society. And, uh, of course, the challenge of mental health, how the pandemic has, has influenced it. And that's probably a great place to start is just to capture your thinking about the, the, uh, just the current context that we're living in. Well, you know, so it is interesting that, I believe we all had this idea that things were going to be different than the way they are right now. You know, the pandemic certainly was a big thing that hit everybody and impacted everyone's well-being. Um, and this um, old concept of us, them, when it came to mental health kind of went out the window. It's not us, them, it's us, because this impacted everyone. I do believe December was sort of that way, too. Um, many folks were thinking, oh, I'm vaccinated. I've got my booster. I'm going to be able to get together for the holidays. And then we have another variant of the Omicron variant that started spreading just rapidly. And change happened quickly again. And people were kind of having to be flexible and learn, now, what do I do? I thought I had this figured out. Um, this one's more infectious. What do I do? Um, and so I think there was a, a bit of a, a kind of a letdown and disappointment that a lot of people experienced. And so here we are, right? So, okay, we're going to be living with this kind of uh, world of variants of probably the rest of our lives. And how do we, how do we align? How do we say, okay, this is my world now. What am I going to do? I do believe a lot of people during the pandemic had time to think, am I doing the kind of work I actually want to be doing? Yeah. Like maybe I don't want to do this anymore. And we've seen it um, in all industries. Um, people are thinking, wow, you know, if I only have so much time, is this the time, is this the way I want to be spending my time? Um, 
We certainly have had lots of requests. Um, there's kind of the second uh, pandemic that's happening, right, around people's well-being, their mental health. You know, it's very interesting. When I, when I say mental health, people think mental illness. But we all have mental health, right? Mm -hmm. We're somewhere on a spectrum. You know, some people are doing fine. Some people are actually thriving. Some people are having struggles with the stresses that are occurring in their life. And sometimes it results in an illness. And what most people don't know is that most people will recover from their illness if they have an illness. So at our center, we look at not only what goes wrong with the brain, we also look at what goes right with the brain. What are those things that we can be doing that help us thrive in the world? And I would say that that's been the biggest shift. And it's what I got the most requests for during the pandemic. How do I handle stress? And what can I do to improve my well-being? Yeah. So, Carl, you know, I have a question as you, as you mentioned that. And thank you for that distinction between mental health and mental illness. Um, I think that's uh, super important. It seems to me that there's a conversation about um, internal versus external. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw a lot of questions about kind of the work world. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, business is, is about people, right? Every organization has people that work within it. Um, most organizations, nearly all organizations, have people that are the recipient of their product or service. So business is still, and, and, and I believe uh, even in the world of technological advancement, will always be um, about people. And so this question about internal versus external, right? I mean, the, the baby boomer generation came to us and, and they got the IBMs of the world that said, trust me, the rainbow will be fuller um, 20, 30 years from now. And, and I think you mentioned that earlier that, you know, people are deciding, is this the work, given that I have a limited time, is this the thing that I want to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis? So there's, seems to be less of this um, willingness to trust external forces, and yet those external forces are the things on a daily basis that you deal with, external expectations, timelines, deadlines, et cetera. Um, can you talk a little bit about this uh, this struggle between internal and external in terms of one's mental health? Yeah, well, so, um, you know, we're all on a spectrum. Uh, and one of the things that we all want is a, a sense of autonomy and control, right? And sometimes uh, there are things that we can uh, do something about. And then sometimes there are things that we can't really do something about. And what do you do with that? Uh, I do believe in our country, we have moved towards distrust in a very strong way. Distrust of institutions, distrust of government. I mean, I can go on and on and on, but what do you do with that? Um, and so that's where people have to think about, well, okay, what are the things that I want in my life? What do I want to be different? And what can I do about those things? Um, some of those things are things that we have control over, you know, and we can kind of take time and think about it. In fact, one of the things I suggest to people is that um, if you're feeling stressed, um, the very best thing that you can do is actually acknowledge it, right? Um, so stress is our body's way of telling us that something important to us is not right. Um, so we feel the physical impact of stress is there's a uh, the amygdala of the brain is 
in the fight or flight mode, right? So, uh, but that alone doesn't mean that we're stressed. Um, stress is uh, the physical reaction, and then it's also that um, we don't feel like uh, uh, we 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 would want to avoid this thing if we could. Right. And the third thing is is that we don't feel like we have any control over it. And some things we do have control over and other things that we don't. Um, so I, I tell folks, you know, acknowledge that you're stressed because it literally moves the reaction from your reactive part of your brain to your problem-solving part of your brain. And you can think through, well, what am I stressed about? What is this important thing? And then that will fall into two categories. It's something you can do something about or it's something that you can't do something about. Yeah. You know, like this pandemic, we couldn't do anything about it in the beginning. It's like it was happening. Um, so so I tell people, pick a time of day to be stressed. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. If you actually pick a time of day to be stressed, it relieves your brain from being stressed 24-7. So pick a time where you have pretty good energy. Like, okay, two in the afternoon, I'm going to deal with my stresses. You have somebody in your life you can deal with uh, and share that with. Uh, that can be very helpful. Um, and then it's like, what can I do here? And then the other part is, what if it's a hypothetical? Like, I really can't do anything about it. You can think about if this hypothetical thing happens, what would I want to happen? And you can get a sense of control over that. I know for many of us, it's what, what if I get COVID and what if I die? You know, what do we want for our family and our friends and those sorts of things? So you get some sense of control around that. And I believe this dynamic has happened in the workplace. It's sort of like, okay, what do I have control over? What do I have autonomy about? What am I doing? And is that really what I want to be doing right now? Yeah, I think there's a lot to, I, we break it down this way very often and we do this in workshops and it's very, I, I think in alignment to what you're talking about is to take an inventory, uh, actually sit down and do an inventory. Where, where is my stress? And another way to come at that is where in my life uh, am I aligned and what's, what, what are the aspects of misalignment? And it's really interesting to be able to connect those misalignments to the underlying fears that we have about not having control, predictability, what the sources of stress are, and what can we actually do about them so that we can kind of deconstruct and reconstruct and have a greater sense of, of, of uh, predictability, or at least know. And I think you've, you've actually hit on something important, which is the scenario part. Now, we, we, we talk a lot about what are the possibilities and what we design in our lives that provide us with a greater the sense of, of actually creating greater aligning, attaining what it is that we're seeking and working through the fear and to be able to have those real conversations with ourselves and with, with others as to what those fears are that are, that are igniting that anxiety and stress in our lives in the, at the level that they are. I think that's a, and I like your idea about taking, taking time and really evaluating say, well, if I'm going to, uh, designate a part of my day to be stressed, it might be useful to do that in a more productive way to actually look at and say, yeah, and that's probably the time that I can meditate on or, or think about, or, you know, take a look at my inventory and where things are and what it is that I'm looking for. I, I also get that sense of that. And I know in your, in your, at the mental health center, Denver, and I, 
and you think about healthcare in general, one of the great fears uh, is about resources. And um, I'd love to get your insight as to your thoughts, yeah, and your thoughts about resources and how we can be better equipped or better understand what the resources are that we have available to us as we as we move through some of these uh, what I would consider great you know forms of anxiety or fear distress well yeah so um so let me just talk about numbers just for a moment um if you look at people that are dealing with a mental health or an addiction issue that's one in five people this is actually before the pandemic maybe worse yeah. now so one in five people are dealing with something so everybody knows somebody who's mm -hmm. dealing with something and then if you look at the people who need help only two out of five are actually getting the help they need that's true in Colorado, that's true in the United States, that's true across the world. So if you look at the need, the need is actually great, but the resources that we put towards that is not so much. Um, and many people think that if you look at sort of mental health, behavioral health in the context of um, resources, we're all developing nations all across the world. And I do believe the pandemic has brought awareness to lots of people that we need to do something about this. So now, if we look at the workforce, let's just say in the United States, um, the workforce in behavioral health has decreased 14% in the past 10 years. There are fewer people going into the field. Um, I am um, actually the average age of a psychiatrist in Colorado. I'm 65. That's the average age. And there are many people that will be retiring out of the field. So we can't really solve this problem by instantly getting more mental health workers, right? I mean, there's a process that take, those people go through. It takes time. Um, so how can we get people what they need, leveraging technology? So um, as an example, we have a website that's called You at Your Best. Uh, we were working with young people, human-centered design, really finding out what people want. And young people will say, hey, if I'm depressed, I can Google depression. But I get one million things. What I want to know is what's the good stuff? Like, where can I get really good stuff? And so our website, youatyourbest.com, is curated content. It's content for somebody like you. So when you go to the website, you can try it out. You can look at, this is what I'm doing in my career. This is what I'm doing with my health. This is what I'm doing in the community. You can do self-assessments. And if there are things that you're interested in learning more about, there's curated content. If you sign on to the website, the content gets even better in this way. Um, I'm sure the listeners are all different people, you know. So uh, as an example, um, if somebody signs on to the website and they say, well, my identity is I'm a black woman who identifies as queer, her content is going to be curated for somebody like her. Uh -huh. As opposed to somebody who, say, um, a white male who's 55, married with kids and grandkids. It's different content. 
So we're trying to leverage what is available and make it available to people. Now, uh, this works great for people who are good at sort of self-help, right? Um, if people need more than that, they can all they can convert to actually see somebody. Um, but uh, we're trying to get as much good content out there as possible for people. Yeah, you're you're uh, bubbling up all kinds of questions. Uh, there's going to be an endless supply for sure, Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Carl, you, you, you bring up a, a bunch of different things, right? I mean, that people want autonomy and control. You talk about the, um, um, the tech-enabled curation so that content can be personalized. And so, you know, my question to you is this, this idea that so many of us are experiencing um, things to consider about our mental health and mental well-being. And yet, um, it feels very personal always. Um, and, and the question I really want to ask is about that personal sense of mental health is, is it about it's so personal that I need somebody to see me and my mental health in these situations? Yeah, that's what, that's what came to my mind as I was listening to you too, is that this curated piece says you're actually paying attention to me. And during the pandemic, of course, that lack of connectivity with one another is really derived from the same place in terms of our, uh, our sense of self-concept and our sense of well-being. connected. Um, someone actually paying attention to me, and then to be able to have it at that level. And I really uh, like that you included the human-centered design piece of it. It's something that we spend a lot of time around here talking about and teaching and and um, working with companies on. So I'm also interested in, in taking that and recognizing that there's the technology and how do, you, how do you move into a place where you can actually personalize it, that somebody's getting valuable time with someone or getting, getting because I thought to myself when you said, well, some people are good at self-help and others aren't. And I, that raises the curiosity of, what is it? What kind of data do we have? And how many people are actually self-aware or can self-help at that level without having someone guide them, someone help along the journey? Any, any insights you have on that? Yeah, a couple of things. One is um, our viewpoint is that everyone wants to be great. Everyone. Everybody in their center wants to be great. Yeah. And so we have no criteria for who we will see. Like you don't have to like reach a certain level of ability to be able to see well, us. Was, we I, meet people. I was already convinced that I qualify no matter what. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we meet people right where they are, right where they are. So um the pandemic has, uh, I think, revealed to many of us many different things. And one is that we are deeply social beings, right? And that we need that social connection. Um, the pandemic has been very hard on everyone in that respect, and especially young people. You know, loneliness uh, has gone off the charts. So, when I talk about leveraging technology for good content, that's one thing, but we're also leveraging content uh, technology for connection, 
So I'll give you an example. I am a psychiatrist. I still see people. Um, when the pandemic occurred and we decided to start providing services remotely, you know, and through telephone and video, I had something that had never happened in my career. The very first clinic I did, I saw 100% of the people on my schedule that day. That had never happened. So for many people, the technology has afforded connectivity and access. People didn't have to worry about transportation or childcare or a whole host of things that can get in the way of being able to see somebody. So prior to the pandemic, we were seeing people in a couple of ways. Uh, we had clinics that people would come to. Um, that was one way that we saw people. We also know that sometimes people are already going to a particular place that might be a school or a childcare facility or um, a community-based organization. And if there was a need there, we would place our people in those places. So we would put people in nursing homes and childcare facilities and school-based health clinics, those sorts of things. And then we also have our um, program called uh, our co-responder program, where sometimes police officers get called on to situations where there's a mental health or, or an addiction need. So we're sending social workers with police officers um, so that they can intervene. And it had a tremendous impact. Uh, there were, prior to having the program, 97% of the people would wind up in jail. And after we implemented the program, it was 7%. People were actually connecting with what they needed. And then we started yet another program, our STAR program, um, where we get some 911 calls directly, and we send out a paramedic and a social um, to do the intervention. Because for some people, even seeing a police officer in a uniform can be uh, traumatizing. Um, and so that program has also been wildly successful. First year, we saw over a thousand people and helped people connect with those social situations that they were in where they needed help. And a lot of that really was around connectivity and connecting with yeah. other people. You said something really uh, interesting that, that uh, got me thinking a little bit about the idea of connectivity and social connectivity and loneliness. And this idea that despite being within a, a work environment and a social environment, like um, students are reporting at universities around loneliness and young people. So we've got the connectivity with the technology, we've got all this work. Or we can actually be in a social environment within the work context and still feel lonely. And I, I think that I think that goes back to what you started with is that that's quite a statement about our social condition that we're living in right now. Um, any thoughts, any advice for people that that are feeling that way in terms of you know just in the workplace environment? Because. And I just want to add to that because we're all striving, and I think this is across the board, uh, that organizations, uh, corporations, uh, I think everyone's striving to get better and better 
at better understanding the human endeavor, right? And be more human-centered in how it is that we design our workplaces and the cultures that we're working in. But there's certainly this aspect of still feeling alone within the context of a whole that's that's really powerful and interesting. Well, so what makes us uniquely human is our ability to imagine things that have never been before. And uh, so the pandemic is helping us imagine what's never been before. <laughs> And right. So, <laughs> yeah, and 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 what we what we're drawn to do is to come together as people, and to as as a group of people imagine something that has never existed before. And that's, I think, what the challenge is right now mm-hmm. with remote work. And Agreed. you know, so so uh, so I know many businesses have have done a variety of things to try to get that social connection back in there. I, I think it was uh, kind of tough on my team when I was saying, you know, I get so much more work done remotely than I do when I come into the office that why would I want to come into the office? I do want to come into the office, but I only want to come into the office for one reason. That's to socialize. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. You know, so what are the structural things that we can creatively come up with to get people back to that kind of social connection? That thing that happens at the water fountain and that sort of stuff about knowing people. Um, One of the things that we do um, in our organization is that all meetings um, that are an hour long are actually 50 minutes long, right? Because we want people to have 10 minutes or whatever. And every meeting starts with a meeting opener of some sort. And it can be something like, you know, tell me something sweet and something sour. And you find out things like you go on flashlight expeditions with your grandkids at night, you know? Well, yeah, backwalks. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. To oh, you have a family member that's uh, uh, in the hospital right now with COVID. So you get that full connection. And you know, if we were in the same room together, we would get some of that when we were getting ready to do this podcast. But you don't get that when it's just like. The meeting starts and the meeting stops. So what are those creative things that we can do? One of the things that we did during the pandemic is we created caring and sharing groups. And it was it was four or five people. Um, we used Microsoft Teams and we said, use Teams for your group. And it would people be people that were in similar life circumstances. So it would be like the mom who's a therapist who has two kids under the age of five and negotiating all that, you know, and just, and it was like, no rules, just like, get together and talk to each other. Um, And that, that wound up being a great um, way of uh, supporting one one another. And also that kind of stress problem solving too. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, you know, we've got one computer in the house and my kids going to school and I have to work, those kinds of things. I think it also speaks a lot then to the idea of what's the definition of success. I think you hit on it uh, because so much of success is my getting done and the work look like, and yet no more holds the definition of success. If I want to be successful and succeed in my performance. I also want to succeed in social realm, and I also want to succeed knowing that other people care. That there's there's a caring environment where we can share, we can be open and and talk about the different issues around life, 
and know that there's going to be uh, not just someone listening, that there's people around us that actually care about us. So the definition of success gets much richer and uh, meaningful lens that we appreciate it through. Yeah, you know, Edgar, uh, I want to pick up on so many things uh, right at once. So, I'm, uh, Carl, I'll try hard not to just dump it all together. Um, I do. We do have a tradition on the podcast that I get to bring out um, something about my poor movie taste each and oh, every boy. podcast. Here we go. Yeah. And I got a two for today. I got a two for today. Um, you know, I'm going to bring up two movies: the movie The Truman Show, um, and you talk about connectivity, right? I mean, that was that movie with Jim Carrey was really about somebody being able to watch each and every single emotion of another human being so that they develop that connection. Right? I mean, and that was a, a science fiction film. Uh, by all means, because, um, you know, I think all of us are learning how to, we're struggling to figure out how to connect the emotions um, when we watch somebody, because we, we are missing some of that connection to know what's behind the curtain so we can make sense of the emotions, right? Oftentimes at work, we say, you know, make sure you're nice to everybody. Um, we have these kind of structural things where we say, leave your personal out of this in the name Edgar mentioned of getting things done. And then I think that other movie, the idea of her, um, speaks to that condition of loneliness mm-hmm. and the idea that you would, uh, fall, you know, fall in love literally with, uh, with an artificial intelligence. But, um, I, I have a question there about the, the artificial intelligence also doesn't question. No. Right. So there's the acceptance part of that as well. It definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think, you know, that's a, you know, accept me as I am flaws mm-hmm. and all. Yeah. Um, there's some generational things, you know, and I have two teenage daughters, one in college, one about to go to college next year. And, you know, they spend so much time alone um, being influenced by things on social media and things like this. Um, and, and what's, you know, the conversation I have with my wife is about the passivity and about the, the time and consistency it takes to overcome some of the external influences. So, um, how do I get to a question here? Can, can you talk about how <laughs> in, a, in, a, in the workplace, um, I, I love your examples. I love of go on teams. You know, I will share in, in, in my workplace. Um, I value that so much. I mean, this is why Edgar and I get along and why we do these things because we, we value the time of, of connection making and, you know, Edgar's work, uh, in true alignment in, in these organizations is really about listening long enough to ask people what they want to be in control of. And, and I, right. I mean, what, what, Mm -hmm. where is alignment and how do they do it are the secondary questions to listening long enough to find out so that they can ask the questions themselves. Is there a question on there? All right. So bring it. Jim, Jim says we have a question. Yeah, actually this kind of lines up with a a question that just came in um, perfectly. And the question was, what could uh, employers do to better get to know their employees and know when they're spread too thin or when they're putting too much workload on one person, which in turn causes them severe mental health issues? Good one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll drop that one there and let you yeah. work on yeah. that one. Go Carl. for it, Carl. <laughs> yeah, That's why well, you're here. I mean, well, so... Um, uh, it's called listening. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, um, well, so, thanks. That was good uh, of you. Thank and, you very and much. People, and, 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 and people, 
people people are comfortable with different ways of listening, right? So um, sometimes uh, listening in a small group is easier uh, for employers um, than large groups. Um, some employers are just fine with listening to a large group. Um, I do all staff meetings, um, and we have a thousand employees, and there'll be you know six to eight hundred people on a Teams call like this, and uh, I have to actually have somebody help me manage it because some people will speak up and say what they're interested in or curious about or worried about or those sorts of things, and then the chat line is going like fire right, right. So, uh-huh. where people are typing things in so i actually have to help gotcha. have somebody help me do that but uh but uh, in the heart of hearts it's uh you know people people often people often will be able to tell you what they're experiencing um and sometimes people can tell you what they need and then sometimes people can tell you what they want and what's interesting is, is that sometimes we want things that actually aren't going to be helpful to us, right? So this gets uh, to the science of well-being. Uh, we have this ability to miswant, you know, that we have the idea is right. like, oh, the big house will make me happy or making more money will make me happy. And those are actually not things that are behind the science of well-being. And the science is really good. It's only been around since 1999. Martin Seligman was a is a psychologist at Penn. Mm-hmm. He was the head of the American Psychological Association. He had studied very difficult things like genocide, learned helplessness. And he goes, wow, we study what goes wrong with the brain. Why aren't we studying what goes right with the brain? And what's happened over time is this construct called the PERMA model um, those letters stand for things, and it is actually the things that contribute to our well-being. You know, so the P stands for positive emotions, and simply put, the more positive emotions you have, the better it is for your well-being. There's all kinds of positive emotions, and emotions are completely subjective. What creates a positive emotion for mm-hmm. one person might not for another. I have friends that jump out of airplanes and they're happy about it. I would not be, right? <laughs> so, you know, so, and there are different types of positive emotions. There's awe, there's being engaged, there's joy, there's uh, a whole range of things that have been studied deeply. And of course, love has been studied the most. Um, gratitude is a type of positive emotion. And there are things that you can do to increase the positive emotions in your life. One very simple one is write down five things that you're grateful for every day for a week. At the end of the week, it will have an impact on your overall well-being and actually your health. So the second uh, thing in the PERMA model is uh, engagement. Um, And engagement is one of those things where you're doing something and time disappears. Um, sometimes you know it when you're doing it, and sometimes you know it after it's done. You know, right, and the more yeah. things that we can do where we're engaged, where time disappears, the better it is for our overall well-being. And again, it's subjective. The um, R stands for positive relationships. This is more objective. You can actually do measurements and say whether a relationship is positive or negative. The more positive relationships we have in our lives, the better. If you have negative relationships in your life, 
Are there things that you can do to change that? And sometimes, you know what? There are two people that just don't mix, right? It's like no amount of work is going to make that get better. And that's times where we say this relationship is sort of toxic, and I'm going to separate that relationship. Um, The M in the PERMA model is doing something meaningful with your life. Everybody wants to do something meaningful. Maybe that's a part of the great resignation. Do I feel like the work I'm doing is doing something meaningful? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, or it's not the kind of meaning I want to be doing. Um, so people will change that. And the A in the PERMA model is accomplishing things. You know, and it can be big things, it can be little things. It can be I started a family, it can be I cleaned the garage, right? And when we accomplish stuff, it contributes to our well-being. So when I listen um, to employees, I'm listening with that model in mind, and I'm also listening with the model of grief in mind, because people have a lot of grief right now. There's been a lot of sense of loss, you know, the full realm. And so as employers, you know, I encourage you to listen to what your staff are saying with those lenses so that you can feel like you're more activated and you can do something. So compassion is uh, two things. One is recognizing the emotional state of the person that you're with. Mm-hmm. But if you do that alone, it's not that helpful. It's a little helpful, but it's not that helpful. Compassion is where you put action with it. You know, And it might not be, I'm doing this to you. I'm doing this with you. With you, yeah. So that was, um, you know, there's a couple Harvard Business Review articles that had come out in the last year. One that came out in October, which was uh, added some longitudinality to a study that was done in 2019, amazingly before COVID, where they asked about mental health in the workplace. And and they're showing an increase in some of these things. And, and one of the big things, Carl, that you mentioned was that compassion needs action to come with is that, um, you know, what they're finding is that in in their workplace, it's often the action part that is missing. Um, right. We put resources on the table in our HR programs. Yeah, but I, it, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just saying, I think it's when you think about just this idea of the Burma model and listening and, and compassion through that lens, then I think the next piece of it would say designing and coming up with actions so that uh, we're not just listening to staff or listening to people through this uh, through this lens uh, and and filtering or or looking for opportunities, it's really then designing actionable ways to come at it to increase the wellness and the you know the well-being of, of the people in our in our organizations. So this is the place, Edgar. Yes, this is the yeah. place where we need to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because Carl, you mentioned so many times that those things are subjective, um, and you know we would be remiss if we didn't say and experienced uh, very differently by the diversity amongst our employees in an organization amongst our colleagues. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that subjectivity plays out in the compassion that a manager, for instance, and maybe that's a personal story. Again, I'm loving the stories from, um, from your workplace. Um, can you tell how that, how that works for, for a manager, perhaps in a workplace? Yeah. Cause what comes to mind for me is the equity piece. Um, what that means it's a very personal, that's a very personal uh, journey to, to discover what it really means. And then you hear someone else's perspective. They're, they're looking for a very individual. Uh, and I think the habit that we form 
team organization is a kind of like one size fits all approach to the ideas around inclusion and diversity and and then thinking about equity means listening and discovering the individual yeah i'm coming out of my seat here with questions um you know because well, i'll share i'll share i'll yeah. share a little bit about what we do <clears throat> so i have the vp of de uh, and i and uh, i have 10 people on that team i'm a company of a thousand people mm. and um we put a lot of resources behind this um all employees take dei 101 and that's just the basics, you know, what is equity? What's implicit bias? What are these things, right? And so it's it's kind of more didactic, you know, it has a lot of good content in it. But the second course they take is Water, Water Everywhere. And this is about what do you do, like, in a process when you run into one of those things where things crash, right? You know, like, how do you unpack it? You know, so many times you'll say, hear people say, well, I didn't intend blah, blah, blah. You know, I didn't intend to hurt your feelings. But the reality is you hurt their feelings, right? And how do you have, yeah, (laughs) how do you have conversations about that, right? And how do you really do the real work? Um, So, um, so, so we infuse that through the whole organization. Um, It's always top of mind. It's called water, water everywhere, because a fish in water might not even know they're in water. Right. And we all do all that we do in the context of the culture that we grew up in. Right. And so now you have a diverse workforce where people grew up in different environments in different ways and they're all in the same spot. So I'll give you one example where somebody said something that was well intended that really hurt somebody. So um, a uh, black mom has a three year old that's having trouble with. Um, urinating. And so a white mom says to the black mom, you should put your kid in therapy. The black mom's experience is, do you know who I would see if I went to see somebody? They're probably going to be white, you know, and they don't have my life experience. And do you know how many black moms have lost their kids when they put them in therapy because they were judged not to be a good mom? You see what I mean? Now, and then how do you have that conversation, yeah. right? You know, to unpack that. Very so there's cool. a lot of work to be done. And I would say a lot of work to be done in all organizations in our country. Um, if you look at all organizations in our country, they were developed in the context of white supremacy. They were. And so that means all of our organizations have places that we can look at every aspect of our organization to see, in fact, do we have institutional racism going on? How do we get, how do we get supplies? How do we get contractors? How do we hire people? All of those different things can have cultural things that influence it that uh, do not create a, 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 an opportunity for everybody. So how do we change those things? Again, so many, so many questions are coming to mind. You know, w- one of the things, uh, Carl, you know, kudos to your organization, um, you know, for having those two courses, putting the resources, but you, you mentioned, I think, uh, a super important element in an organization is the level of consistency of, of the conversation, right? It's not something we do. And, you know, I, th- I think, 
I've heard repeatedly in this conversation how important it is to continue to come back and do the work on your mental health, both as an individual and as an organization, because it will be. And I, you know, this is a conversation when, as I raise my, as, as I raise my children is, you know, to tell them that you, you mow the lawn every week in the summer. That's just how it works. You're going to have to go grocery shopping again and again and again and again. Um, there's a lot of repetition in life. Your personal uh, health and well-being is really about an investment um, that you do on a consistent basis. Organizationally, if you want your culture to be one that supports mental well-being, it is a consistent action-oriented investment by the organization to have that. Can you talk a little bit about that consistency and how people might become so tired um, in that, I think that's really one of the COVID impacts is that, you know, we thought there was potentially an end last year. And now the new variants are saying, whoa, um, actually, there might not not only be an end, it might actually be that we're going to go backwards a little bit. Yeah, so um, there's really good science behind well-being. And one of the central things is the better your well-being is the better it is for everybody around you. And that's also true for the people around you. The better their well-being is, the better it is for you. So um, taking time um, to take care of yourself and to address your own kind of like journey uh, is important for everybody. And it has a ripple effect. Um, we have some interesting things in Colorado. Um, and one is uh, the Gallup group actually measures well-being, and uh, Colorado is number seven. We're not number one, but we're not number 50. Uh, Denver happens to be number 18. Again, we're not number one, but we're not down at the bottom either. And so when you live in an environment where people's well-being is good, it's good for you. So then this gets to, are we our brother's keepers, right? Like, if we help anybody in our lives and it improves their well-being, it has a ripple effect. So for my staff, we focus on their well-being. I want their well-being to be the best that it can be because it's good for them, it's good for their families, their friends, and it's good for the people that we see. Um, and it's another way to break down this us-them sort of barrier. You know, so we in Denver have an issue with lots of people who don't have a place to live. And so if we help people get a place to live and it improves their well-being, guess what? That's good for all of us. Yeah, that self and other is uh, is such an important part. Uh, you know, Carl, we're going to – there. there's so much. I mean, we yeah, could have you just, on. Uh, Jim, got something? Yeah, it looks like we have another question coming in um, for you guys. Is it the responsibility of companies to provide – employees with mental health education and access to services. Mm. So is it, is it the responsibility of business? Well, you know, so I'm sure there's going to be a continuum on that one, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, so I, I, I have colleagues that say I didn't hire people to raise them, right? I need right. folks to be adults. And there's, there's something to be said for that. On the other hand, um, if the well-being of your staff is really good, you'll go off the charts in your profitability. Is that a is that a now versus later kind of conversation? Um, you know, is that uh, you invest now in your people for a return mm -hmm. later? 
as opposed to immediacy of return. Yeah. Uh, Carl, uh, you know, as we, I know you have to get to another meeting. By the way, the way you just looked at me, I'll answer the question. I think it's yes. <laughs> and I think there's a certain immediate, there's immediacy to it right now, especially in the social context, pandemic, everything that's going on around us, the uh, great alignment as people in the, in the big quit. I, yeah, to me, it seems that the more awareness we can create in the workplace, the better off we're going to be. Yeah. It, you know, it takes strong, strong leadership, though, because you have to you have to hold off your yeah. shareholders in the quarterly meetings. You have to hold off your, um, you know, you might it might lead to internal changes. Oh, yeah. And, and I just let's go. Let's go to, to the core of that is as a leader, you're going to be criticized and uh, you're going to win favor. And at times you're going to be questioned about about the uh, decisions and the actions that you take. And that's a part of being a leader. That's just a part of it. I think you've got to really take a good hard look at what's going to have a really positive effect and what's attraction, retention of employees, everything that's going on. I think the greater that you can focus on creating a wellness, a well-being and creating a, a healthy work environment, especially from the mental health side, it, it, all, it, it all will pay dividends at some level. Yeah. So, no, there's not a cookie cutter either, no, right? I mean, and this not. is why the alignment framework is is so important. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in an academic space where um, confrontation was part of our, it's part of our quote unquote discipline, um, right? Yeah. I mean, we, peer review is about challenging one's thinking um, and one's process to make all of our process and thinking better. Um, it's ideal form and I, uh, you know, I grew up in a graduate student environment where we, you know, the biggest names in the field at conferences would would call out grad students who, you know, were were too green to be called out, frankly. But um, it, it created it created a culture um, of striving to make sure that your work mm -hmm. was beyond reproach. I mean, and that's what the peer review in science is supposed to be about. Um, Carl, you you've worked with Edgar for for a long time. Um, I, I, I haven't met you until today, but I've heard a lot about you and, and it seems to me that you are likely a big believer in alignment as, as we are. Can you speak a little bit about how your organization has benefited from that alignment framework and from you as a leader, what, what the work that you've done to get there? Yes. So, um, we, we are all about um, personal actualization, right? So we're about people being where they are right now, accepting them where they were, are, and asking them, where do you want to be, right? And sometimes they're going to need a little help from us, and sometimes they're going to need a lot of help from us. But we're very, very clear about why we're here and what we're doing. And um, it's easy to get distracted. Um, by what about this, what about this, if it doesn't align with our core, which is powering the pursuit of well-being, then we don't do it. Let somebody else do that, you know. And I'm so thankful there are people that do different things in the world, but we're very clear about we're here for you and your journey about where you want to go and be. That's uh, fantastic. And, you know, my... My wife works in the healthcare field, um, and she runs programs uh, 
you know, for people's long-term term health to, to stave off illness in the long run. And, and we had a conversation just this morning about when you are working in the healthcare industry and, or the education industry for that matter, and you are providing a service to someone that organizationally there's this, there's this, um, it's easy to find misalignment when I'm dealing with you as the employee and your personal actualization, as, as you mentioned in your company versus the service you provide for your customers and, and making sure that they are cared for and how you do both of those things simultaneously for the success of your business really is, is a question many employees I think are having about their organizations right now. Yeah. How aligned is my experience as the employee, the, the EX to the alignment to the CX or customer experience and, and, and creating that alignment. Hey, Carl, we've got just a, a few minutes uh, left and uh, just want to share with you how grateful we are that you joined us for, for the podcast today. So uh, here's a, uh, it could be a complex uh, question. It could be a very simple question by design. I'm hoping that it's a simple one. Is it, uh, what what is your aspiration? What is your aspiration for human well-being for the future? Well, it's a couple things. One is um, it's time we move from a sick care system to a health care system. Right now, most people get paid when people are sick. And let's get to that point where I get paid to help you have the healthiest life you can have, right? That's that's like the the, the big goal. And uh, you know the um, the, the other sh harder goal is that um, disparity that I talked about about putting the resources that we need towards the need. You know? And getting access to care is like a singular focus of mine. And um, and we can't think just about the old models to make that work. You know, what are the new models? What can we come together and create to get people what they need so they can thrive? Thank you. That's a great vision. Thank you very much. It is a great yeah. vision. And I will tell you, you frightened me because I did not think that was anything remotely close to a simple question. But Carl, you have fantastic <laughs> answers. <laughs> Well, thank you guys. This is good. I have a simple mind. So all my questions are simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carl, thank you ever so much for, for being with us today. Uh, for all of you out there in podcast land, uh, we appreciate, uh, appreciate you greatly. And thank you for, for listening today or listening in the future. Um, True Alignment, we're here every week from uh, Regis University at the Anderson uh, College. And Look forward uh, to, to having you join us again in the future. Keep in mind, any and all questions, thoughts, comments are always welcome. You can email us directly or through the True Alignment website. And uh, as always, we, we wish you everything that is good and everything that is well in your life. Anything, any closing thoughts? Carl, Ken? Thanks for doing this. Thank you very much. Keep working on your mental health. Thank you. Well said. Until next time, I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. And this is True Alignment. See you soon.
Thank you.